beloved. Welcome to My Strength and My Shield, a podcast about spiritual and self-care. My name is Nisi, and this is episode 47, The Struggle is Real. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. And if you are a person who's been subscribed for a while, has been listening to the episodes, welcome back. I know some of you might be a little bit confused about why an episode has not been released sooner, but I thank you for tuning in and I hope that you allow me the chance to kind of explain myself. And that's a lot of what this podcast is going to be about. If you're new here, thank you for tuning in as well. And just so you know, we do have a typical structure with our podcast where the first section is spiritual care, where I give you some Bible verses and some Bible study. The second section is the spiritual care, sorry, is the self-care section. And in that section, I talk about mental health tips and things like that. And then finally, I answer some questions that were written in by you guys. And for this episode, it's going to be a little bit different because I'm not really following that format. I don't have a worksheet for this episode. I don't have my normal bullet points and things that I specifically want to talk about. I kind of just want to share with you some of the things that I've been going through. So I hope you indulge me. I hope you haven't turned off the podcast in frustration about the fact that it doesn't have the typical order. But I hope that if you do listen to the end, you'll see that, you know, I'm just a normal human being that sometimes goes through some things and I hope that you join me in this journey where I will be talking about different things. I am going to be talking about self-care. I am going to be talking about spiritual care. And I'll even be addressing some of the things that, you know, people have sent in to me and specific trends that I'm noticing with some of the questions that I've been receiving. And I hope that by addressing this more so in a way that's like, okay, Nisi's been away for a while. What are some of the things that have been affecting her? But also, what are some of the lessons that she's been learning that she can share with me, right? I just flipped into third person. (laughs) Sorry. The point is, I hope that as you listen to this episode, that even though it's not a formal structure, there is a purpose. The title of this episode is The Struggle is Real, and that's because the reason why I haven't been posting episodes is I have been going through it. And I want to talk to you about my process and the fact that I am still going through it. I think a lot of times as Christians, we want to talk about the end result, right? We want to talk about how God saved us and how God's grace was sufficient. And that's 100% true. No matter what we're going through, God's grace is always sufficient. God is consistent that even when, you know, even when we don't obey him and we're not looking towards him, he's always doing work. He doesn't wait for us to get it together for him to do what he has to do, right? So there are lessons that I'm learning even as I'm going through it, even as I'm going through the process. I want to share that with you guys in case that is something that you can relate to, if you can relate to some of the struggles that I've been going through. And I hope that we can have a more intimate conversation that I would equate to a conversation I would have with my friends, a conversation I would have with my cousins who I love dearly or my boyfriend, fiance, sorry, still new. Um, You know, different things like that. I hope that it's a, a conversation that helps you to see a little bit more about who I am, this person that you're listening to through your computer or your cell phone or if you're still using an iPod or something like that. I'm just hoping that we can have this conversation and that you appreciate that even though it's not as structured, it does have a purpose. Um, That being said, I will still have information in the show notes, information about the website, if you're interested in the ebook that I've written, if you're interested in donating to the podcast, and different ways that you can be in touch through Instagram or Twitter or my email address if you want to share with me some encouraging words or share with me some of the things that you've been going through and how God has been keeping you 
I would greatly appreciate that. So, you know, be sure to look into the show notes and I'll give a little bit more information at the end of the podcast of different ways you can get in touch with me. But that being said, I do want to dive into the different things that I want to talk about. And as always, even though this isn't as structured, I'm always going to start a podcast with prayer. So if you do have an opportunity to close your eyes and move forward with me in prayer, now is the time. If you could close your eyes, and if you're not able to close your eyes, just extend your spirit in my direction. Dear Lord, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being limitless and all-knowing, and that even when we're going through it, you already know the end result. That in those moments where we're lost and frustrated and confused and we're feeling down and all we can see is darkness, that at the end of the day, you are the light in the way. You are the person that guides us no matter what we're going through. When we feel like we're alone, when we feel like we have no one else we can depend on, we know we can depend on you. I pray that every person that's listening to this podcast finds something in what I'm saying that they can relate to, something that they relate to that brings us closer to you. Allow this intimate conversation to be about building a relationship with you. Let it be nothing else but an opportunity to get closer to you, to grow spiritually, to grow and focus on our spiritual and mental health and our well-being. Dear Lord, you know the struggles that we're going through even before we know it. There are times when everything seems to be perfect and then suddenly everything goes to black. But I am thankful for your consistency that even though we're inconsistent in our faith, you are never wavering. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your ability to transform and change and that there are times when we stumble and we have the same issues over and over again, the same habits that we struggle with. And we we think, how can I get over it? Why am I still stumbling? Why am I still doing the same thing over and over again? And then you step in as an intercessor and you change everything. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for the ways that you are a game changer, that no matter what we're going through at any time, you can step in and make a way. I pray that you just allow this conversation to heal hearts and spirits, that you allow us to approach this conversation with an open heart and an open mind to receive the word that you want to place on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jumping into this conversation, where have I been? Well, I haven't been anywhere. I'm still working the same job, in the same relationship, with the same friendships. And what happened was, you know, it's been a tough couple of weeks. Um, The title of the podcast is that the struggle is real. And the reason why I titled it that is that it's possible for everything on the outside to be great and you still to be dealing with things on the inside. I think a lot of times people think that depression just comes from your circumstance, but if you're a person that's experienced depression, whether it's circumstantial or biological, or there's just some repressed issues that you haven't dealt with, no matter the source of where the depression comes from, you have to address it. And so I'm here to say that for the past couple of weeks, I have been in what I would, I call it the fog, right? I'm a person that likes to personify my mental illnesses um, or to label them or give them a name. It helps me to identify when I'm in it and when I'm out of it. Like I have, I do the same thing with my anxiety. 
Um, I call my anxiety Chad. <laughs> so when I'm having a bad day, I'm like, yo, Chad, Chad is really giving me a hard time. And it just helps me to identify my feelings and my emotions a little bit better. So the reason why I call my depression the fog is because the fog kind of just creeps in and you don't know that you're in a fog until you're right in the middle. And I think that for me, um, I'm recently engaged and I think about two weeks after I got engaged, the depression started to creep up again. And I was ignoring it because for all intents and purposes, I have been doing great on the outside. My relationship with my fiance is <laughs> amazing. Um, we've been spending so much time together. We picked a venue. Um, our families have been doing great. We had this dinner where my parents and his parents sat down and ate. And they've met each other before. Um, you know, they came together for my graduation party. And they've been together, like, attending different things for either him or for me. But this was, like, the first time that we're sitting down, we're planning the wedding, we're talking about budget and things like that. And it went so well. It went so well that, you know... I mean, it was amazing. Both of our parents are Jamaican. So me and he were just sitting there and the all of our parents were talking about, remember when we were younger and our moms would pack us some corned beef sandwiches and we'd go down to the beach. Like they were reminiscing. And I honestly can say that it couldn't have gone better. There were so many things that just like went seamlessly. Like, you know, we found the venue that was well below our budget that allows us to do so much more with our, our wedding. Um, we've been doing great with our spending. We commit to how much we're putting aside for each of our paychecks and different things like that. And so it has been a blessing to be on the same page in so many different ways. Um, but, you know, and the same thing with my job. I had recently done my first felony trial. Um, sorry, not felony trial. My I'm felony trained, but this is my first jury trial. That's what I meant to say. Um, and did a jury trial. My client was innocent, and we were able to get him acquitted of all criminal charges. And you know, there was this whole surge of like everyone in the office just being so supportive and so loving. And everywhere I went, people were saying congratulations. And I didn't know if it's because they'd heard if I was engaged or if it was because of the trial. But at any rate, I there was so much good going on. And deep down, I was feeling really low. And it's one of those things where it's hard to explain. And I'm sure if you're someone who can relate to it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you're a person that hasn't experienced it, you might encounter someone who's had those kinds of emotions where it's like, why would you be depressed? Everything is going right for you. And I hope that you see that you can have everything going right and everything to be going smoothly. And you're still dealing with some stuff going on on the inside. Um, I've got some family stuff going on. My grandma's not doing so well. Um, I've been having some inner turmoil about my job. Um, you know, the job in and of itself is just emotionally taxing. I am a public defender, and you're dealing with clients who are mentally ill, poor, disenfranchised. You know, I have so many clients that are unjustly harassed by the police, and it's you know, we had this thing at our job called vicarious trauma training, and the purpose of it was to help us train on dealing with other people's trauma and how that affects us in our jobs. And it's the same thing, like if you're a therapist, you need to have a therapist, right? And different things like that, as a person who takes on those kinds of cases, I needed to be in therapy, and I wasn't at that time. Things started to get very heated 
um, and heavy. And because I had done so well on my trial, they just immediately started giving me more responsibilities as a felony attorney. So more people were looking at me like, oh, well, Nisi does great, so let's give her more work. And things started to just pile up, and I'm also having questions about whether or not I need to stay at this job because it is emotionally draining. And every job, you know, I've been grappling with this kind of frustration because I guess this leads me into some of the different topics that I want to talk about because there's there's so much I want to talk about and if it's a little bit scattered it's because it's a real conversation and so my mind is going in 20 different ways of the ways that I want to share with you some of the things that God has been putting on my heart to work through so the first thing is take care of your mental health um, one of the issues that I had is I've talked about this on the podcast there was a season when I was going to therapy um, end of last year into March um, and at that time I had two different therapists the second one I absolutely loved but unfortunately she went on sabbatical and what happens is um, I went into therapy with the intention that I would have a consistent therapy or therapist and maybe I didn't need to go frequently but in the time if I needed help or if I was like in a crisis or something like that it meant that I didn't need to just now find a new therapist I could go back to the person that knows me right like that was my logic I wanted to have someone that was like kind of always on call and the fact that she went on sabbatical and if you've ever been in the process of trying to get a therapist it is exhausting um, they don't tell you how exhausting therapy is. The thing about therapy is, and I'll tell you this right now, number one, therapy doesn't fix you. It gives you the tools to fix yourself. So a lot of people go into therapy, and when they're not cured after the third session, they're like, this is a waste of time. And therapy doesn't work like that. The therapist is not there to give you, you know, the answer to all your questions. And now life suddenly makes sense. If anything, a good therapist helps you to see your situations, help you to see the patterns that you get into, and gives you the tools to break those habits or those negative cycles of thinking or, um, you know, actions that you take. The other thing they don't tell you about therapy is just how exhausting it is to go through the process of finding a therapist. It's exhausting because in order to get to know your therapist, you kind of have to like emotionally dump on a new person that doesn't know you. And you're trying to let them know who you are, but you're also trying to feel out who they are. And it's difficult because if the, you go to a therapist a couple of times and it doesn't work and you have to find another therapist, you have to do the same thing again. You have to go into your details and go into your childhood and start crying and all this kind of stuff. And then you leave the office and you're emotionally drained. And because it's the first couple of sessions, they're not giving you the tools yet. So you're just emotionally dumping and you leave yourself, leave each session feeling exhausted. And then it feels fruitless because you're not getting the tools to deal with it yet. So the thing about therapy is that you have to be consistent and patient. And I think that unfortunately my therapy was interrupted and obviously she needed to go on a sabbatical. She needs to take care of her mental health as well. So she needed to take some time away, 100% support her. It just meant that I needed to find a therapist and I didn't. I was fine. I didn't really have any major things. And, you know, I've been going to therapy um, on and off for a couple of years now since I was about 14. And so actually the first therapist I went to, I was about 12. And so I've dealt with therapy and I kind of got to that point where I was like, okay, if something happens, I'll be okay. And I am going to look for a therapist, but for right now I'm okay. I didn't really want to go through that process all over again. And like I said, I didn't have a specific need at that point, but I got to the point where, you know, more recently in the past couple of weeks, like I said, the fog started to creep back in and the thing about it that I've learned over time, and I'm actually, 
the fact that I've acknowledged that I was going through depression is actually a point of growth for me. Um, there were times, especially when I was in college, that I would just go weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, not eating properly, not getting proper sleep, not wanting to be around my, around my friends, not going to class. And it never dawned on me that I was depressed. I would just let weeks go and just think that, you know, life was kind of hopeless, but I never thought about actually identifying the issue and solving it. So the fact that I think about a week or two went by after I was trying to tell myself there's no need for you to be depressed, everything is going great, you're in love, you're happy, your family's getting along well, you know, except, you know, my grandmother is still um, touch and go, uh, and different things like that, but everything was going right. Um, but I did get to the point where I was like, I couldn't ignore it. The fog became so heavy. Um, there were times where I had to start just calling out of work because I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, last week was one of those, like for Thanksgiving, um, again, a very happy time. I was supposed to work on Thanksgiving and amazingly the court. So what happens is in, as an attorney, I work in the courts. And so the court is open in the daytime and the nighttime. I was supposed to work the night shift on Thanksgiving, but if there's not enough people who've been arrested, sometimes they close the court. So they closed it on Thanksgiving. So a lot of things to celebrate. But I called out of work on Wednesday and I called out of work again on Friday. And I got to the point where I was just like, something has to give. So what I started to do is I put in for time off. So in my job, every time I have to work on the weekend or the week, uh, weeknight or at nighttime, I get a comp day. I get a, a free day off of work. And I realized that I was accruing all of these comp days and I wasn't using it. I think I had like 27 comp days, 17 vacation days, four, um, or I think 5.5 sick days, and I just wasn't using it. So for the next eight to 10 weeks, every Friday I'm taking off. So for about two months, I'm giving myself four day work weeks. Now you might be saying to yourself, that sounds pretty sweet. Only working four days a week, that probably solves all the problems. The thing is, the reason why I'm doing that is because, like I said, I'm in the process of figuring out if this job is where I need to be. Because um, the thing about it is when you do well in my job, it means more work. It means more serious cases. Um, you know, I'm dealing with a case right now that is um, in trigger warning for sexual assault. And without going to too much details, one of my clients is charged with sexually abusing his stepdaughter between the ages of 11 and 14. And that's pretty hard for somebody to deal with. I'm a person who's passionate about my work and advocacy, and my job is not to defend somebody's actions, but to defend somebody's rights. So a lot of people ask, how can you defend those people? Well, I'm not defending what he does. Um, you know, the question of whether or not he should be sent to Rikers for the rest of his life, or not Rikers, because it's not jail, to be sent upstate for 25 to life, that's a conversation we need to have about proportionate punishment. Is this a person that needs a program? Is this a person that needs to just not be around the, the, the victim? Like, what are the ways that we deal with it? And my job is to make sure that a person, their um, obligation to the court is proportionate to what they've done. And so, but it's also heavy to deal with it. It's heavy to sit across from somebody who has done something terrible. It's hard when you see the details of a case. It affects you emotionally, especially if you've dealt with your own stuff, which is why, like I said, a therapist needs a therapist. I need a therapist. Um, I do a lot of work that would be very close to social work. 
I think when you're working at a firm or you're working where you're not really having direct contact with clients, you can send a junior associate or a paralegal to speak to your client and you don't have to get into the nitty gritty or you can have a certain amount of separation. But as a public defender, we have clients that call and say that because of this case, I've lost my home, I've lost my job. And it's just hard to deal with all of everyone else's drama when you're dealing with your own stuff. I think there's also this question of, um, and I, I guess this brings me to the second thing to talk about, is like, it's so important to recognize that God will lead you to challenge. And so the space that I'm in right now is I've always felt like my purpose was to advocate for other people. It's a reason why I'm an attorney, but I'm not just like a corporate lawyer or a contract lawyer. I want to stand up. I've always envisioned myself in a courtroom, always known that that was my, my gift, talent, and ability. So the fact that I've been doing so well in my trials, it feels like I fit. Like if I can explain in any place in this entire world outside of spending time with my fiance, if there's ever a place where I can be 100% myself and feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do, it's when I'm in court. It's when I'm advocating for someone else. When I have a client where I'm able to just make sure that they don't get to, you know, a 16-year-old client doesn't get sent to Rikers for jumping the turnstile. Like, when I'm able to do that stuff, it feels so good. It feels so right. It feels like God is, you know, and oftentimes when I'm making these arguments, there's no one around to pat you on the back. A lot of your clients, you can work hard for them, and they'll just be like, thanks, and leave. Or sometimes you don't even get a thanks, you know? And But the work itself is fulfilling, it's just also draining. So the reason why I'm taking the time off from work a little bit is not just because I need time to rest. It's because what I need to see is if I take that time off where I'm only having four day work weeks and the work is still draining, if, it's, if I'm able to build in self-care and the work is still hard, it means that the job is the problem and not my strategy for coping with the job. So, you know, I'm like, for example, this Friday, my goal is to use that Friday not to just sleep all day, but to let it actually be a self-care day. So this Friday, I'm supposed to be going to look at um, different vendors for flowers for the wedding. Um, and that also is going to help me to make sure that this planning the wedding isn't stressful because I'm not trying to juggle, you know, in between work, trying to make a couple of phone calls. No, I just, I just take the Friday and a couple of the Fridays I have different things that I'm planning to use in order to plan the wedding so we don't get overwhelmed. Um, but then also I have another Friday where my other coworker, you know, I let her know I was taking Fridays off and she was like, look, I'll take a Friday off with you and we'll go to a spa together. And that's what we're going to do. There's a spa in New Jersey. We're originally from Brooklyn and we're going to drive to New Jersey and have a spa day, you know? So I'm planning to make sure that that those days off are useful. I'm not just going to stay home and sleep or watch Netflix. That's what the weekend is for. But for a self-care day, I have it in my planner as a self-care day. If I build that into my schedule, if I make the change, but the job is still difficult, that is when I'll be able to start to wonder if this challenge that I'm facing is something to get over or it's a sign from God that I'm in, I need to be moving on to the next job. Um, I'm approaching my third year, and this is the time when people are asking, are you staying here for a long time or are you moving on to the next career path? And those are the questions that I'm in. And that has probably added a little bit to the fog because you're asking that question of what is my purpose? Did I make the wrong choice? I don't think I made the wrong choice. I know that I'm here for a reason. But a lot of what discernment is, when we're talking about asking God to help us develop discernment, 
God will lead you to a place, and it's up to you to decide how long you should stay. That's what discernment is. A lot of, you know, I've, I've seen it even in times where, like, I'll have a, a woman who's been like, okay, I've been praying to God that the next man I meet is my husband. It's going to be my husband. So the next man they meet, they're like, okay, this must be my husband. No. Discernment is God might have led you to this man, and he may have led you to this man so that you could say no. Like, you're asking the wrong question. Is the question, did God put this person in my life? Absolutely. God is in control of everything. But God put that person in your life for a reason. It's up to you to decide what that reason is. That's discernment. Is the reason so that you can fine-tune your standards? Is the reason so that you can seek God to know if this is the right person? Is the reason because you need to question a little bit deeper what are his standards and what are your standards? And it's the same thing with a job. You know, he, you, he may have led you to this job. He may have intentionally allowed you to be accepted to this position. But discernment is, are you listening spiritually? Have you been so accustomed to this job that you can't listen to God telling you to move on? And that's the space that I'm in. I don't think that I was wrong in picking this, this job. I prayed so hard for it and, and through it, and I prayed about should I take it, and I felt convicted to take this job. And there's so many times where I'm doing my work and I feel so good because I know I'm doing God's work. But there's also different ways to do God's work. That doesn't mean that I'm broke and emotionally drained. So that's the process that I'm in. You know, I think that you have to remind yourself that God will lead you to challenge. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean that God has forsaken you or that you've been led in the wrong direction. Look at our Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything that happened in Jesus' life was planned by God, including the fact that he had to die. Understand that his death doesn't mean that Jesus was wrong for healing everybody and turning over tables in the, in the temple and calling out hypocrisy. No, all of those things were God's plan. And sometimes you will hit a challenge. Sometimes you will hit a wall. And just because you've hit that wall does not mean that your whole um, future is in doubt or your relationship with God is in doubt. You just have to remind yourself that when you face a challenge, it's your job to use your discernment to figure out, is this a sign or, you know, is this a stop sign or is this a speed bump? And the only way to do that is to recognize that challenge and then to go to God for an answer. The other thing that I kind of, and I'm shifting gears here, um, one of the things that I went to church um, the other weekend, so not this, this weekend's sermon was different. The other Sunday, um, we had a guest speaker and one of the messages that he was talking about was how important it is for us to worship God before we ask for things. And that's something that I want to do a little bit more when I pray. Because what happens is when you're going to God and you're asking for things and you don't get what you ask for, you make the mistake of assuming God isn't listening to you. When at the end of the day, whether God gives you what you want or not, God is still God. And there's something to getting on your knees and acknowledging his mercy and remembering what he took you through before you ask him to do what you want him to do. So, for example, dealing with this whole thing with my job, I first have to thank God for having a job. I first have to thank God for getting me through law school. I first have to thank God for getting me through undergrad. I first have to thank God for getting me through high school. 
I think it's easy when you're in a dark place to kind of get disconnected from your life in a way that right now just seems dark and you can't really see around you. I had someone who um, sent a message in to me, and this kind of slips into the next thing that I want to talk about. Um, you know, so I'll just read the question. I'll read the question. And you can kind of get where I'm coming from, from the question, okay? So this was a question that I got into my Tumblr, and I'll read you my response and go to it a little bit deeper. The question is, I've been slacking with my relationship with God because I started getting involved in a church that wasn't right for me, and then I stopped having my quiet time with God. I'm also moving in a couple of weeks, so it would be pointless to go out looking for another church right now. It's hard for me to feel him and feel grateful for what he does for me. I've been living in a thinking pattern that says my life isn't important because I'm not in a relationship. It feels like that's all my community cares about. And this is my response. One of the biggest ways the church has failed us is by focusing on feeling God. We go to church on Sunday, we have amazing worship and feel inspired, and we equate that feeling with feeling God's presence. The thing is that God is with you whether you feel him or not. He's working on your behalf whether you go to church or whether you make excuses or blame things for why we haven't committed ourselves to God. You need to let go of the idea that you have to feel God in order to be obedient. You need to let go of the idea that there's only one way to feel God's presence. I feel God when he gives me a conviction. I feel God when I'm helping someone else. I feel God when I don't just read the Bible but actually engage in the text. You're making excuses. You could go to church for a couple of weeks. You just don't feel like it. You could put the effort to read the word and push yourself to get closer to God, whether you feel him or not, but you haven't. And that's okay. Trust me, I've had my moments as well. But I encourage you to develop the spiritual maturity to build habits that seek God. Don't just expect him to come to you in a burning bush or expect him to make you feel like how you feel on Sundays. Seek him. Do the work. The reason why I share that with you, and I'm, you know, I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but I hope that you're hearing a word in season, is that it's so important to worship God and recognize his might and to focus on obedience and not just like how we feel. Because on the day that I don't do my Bible study plan, God still wakes me up. And on the day that I don't, you know, pray before I go to bed, he still keeps me at night. It's important that we recognize who we serve and we recognize how amazing God is. And rather than to focus on the negative things, we have to focus on the positive things. And the reason why I say that is that it's human nature. It's almost like our fight or flight instinct is to be afraid and to be timid. And it's hard to live boldly and to expect great things when you've been disappointed so many times. But you have to lean on God and you have to worship him. We don't do enough worship. Right now at my church, we have this thing called Revival. Um, and some of you guys, if you went to an old school church, Revival would be where they had the church open for 24 hours and there's 24 hours of worship and praying and it's very old school and a lot of yelling and a lot of people running up and down the aisles. And so we're doing that at our church for three days. Actually, my fiance went on Monday and went on Wednesday. And it's this idea of spending the entire day in worship so many of us can barely stand the worship we do when we go to church. 
the worship is taking too long and why are they singing again and pastor says to sit down but the the choir keeps going or you know we're in the middle of prayer and someone starts shouting and we're like what are you doing all that yelling for and I would encourage you to, to reevaluate the ways you worship God. How much time do you spend just thanking him? You know, there are times when I try to push myself to be more grateful and I sit down to pray about something and I forget what I'm praying for because I spend the time just focusing on glorifying God. I want to encourage you that when you go pray to God, before you ask for anything, worship him. Thank him for what he's already done and have faith that he's going to continue to work on your behalf. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Worship him before you ask for anything. Before you come with a handout, ask yourself, how can I get closer to him? And the way you get closer is by appreciating him. How many times have you had a relationship that doesn't feel right because you don't feel appreciated? You know, it's so important that you don't miss an opportunity to worship the God that has given you so much. And that's the word that I have for you. And I prayed, like, literally, change the way that you pray tonight or whenever you're listening to this podcast. Pause it right now if you need to. Just start by saying, dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for keeping this world turning. Thank you for allowing the sun to give us warmth. Thank you for the roof over my head. And I guarantee you that once you start to focus on what you do have, what you don't have doesn't have as much of an impact on your emotions. So the other thing, you know, shifting gears a little bit um, to... Just wanted to talk a little bit about um, relationship stuff. And I want to talk about it from the perspective of dating and then also once you're in a relationship, right? So one of the things, so actually just recently, because um, me and my fiance just finished doing Bible study. And we actually, it was, we actually had a really good conversation tonight. We did one of those like personality profiles and we talked about, and it's interesting because our two pr- profiles actually match up. Um, he's like the opposite of, like we are, different but we complement each other um and it was interesting because when i read to him what it was about like the description of his personality um he was like well that's not true actually it is true you know like it was everything was really spot on and we talked about why it was so important to do things like that to focus on compatibility to see how we complement each other because that also allows us to see what our strengths and our weaknesses are Like I know for me, I tend to be a person that's very loving and generous and supportive and hardworking and I'm a planner. But one of um, some of my weaknesses is that I tend to, um, I'm like humble to a fault and I often repress how I feel and I have to push myself outside of that. And what that helps is when your partner knows, and obviously this is, this is like next level partner stuff and we'll talk about that a little bit more because I don't think like at the beginning of your relationship, you're going to know if you trust your partner to be the person that with your vulnerabilities that can help you grow through it. But what I'm saying in this situation is by him knowing that my tendency, and we didn't need the personality test to tell us this. He's always known that because I tend to repress myself, he is constantly encouraging me, no, speak your mind. Say what's on your mind. It's okay. Be honest with me. And so because he knows my shortcomings, he can be there to encourage me to stand up in my truth a little bit more. And so 
you know, we were talking about different things and we had an opportunity, you know, I was talking to him about, can we commit to when we have arguments, you know, not yelling. And me and him, we don't argue a lot at all. Um, we actually don't argue at all. And when we get into arguments, we get loud, but we don't yell at each other. Like, we're not disrespectful. We don't call each other's names. But sometimes when we get into arguments, sometimes we end up talking over each other, and that naturally makes you get louder and louder because you're trying to over-talk the person. And I think that we generally do a good job when we disagree. Like, if we don't have the same opinion or we need a different strategy, because we think in different ways, we can appreciate the way we can disagree but still have the same goal. The problem is when someone's feelings get hurt and when we feel like we've been disrespected and when you hit that nerve. Everyone has a nerve. Like, for me, I don't like when someone walks away from me. For him, I know, like... I don't know. I mean, he has, we all have different nerves, but I think his nerve is when he feels like, you know, he has to apologize for something that he didn't do, right? Like, just because I might feel he's done something, does, like, just because my feeling interpreted something wrong, that's not his intention, right? So we've had conversations about, you know, intention versus result and different things like that. So, but we have had times where we're over talking each other and it does get to the level of yelling. And, we had this whole conversation and we committed to each other not to yell. And we said it in a way that was like, look, eventually we're gonna have kids. And we can, like when we have our disagreements, it never lasts for longer than like a half hour, right? So that's the benefit is like we end up talking it out and even when we get like to the point where it's tension, usually one of us brings us back down and we end it with I love yous and we pray about it and things like that. But we talked about the fact that when we have a heated argument, if we were to have that in front of our kids, even an argument that ends up being resolved positively, the yelling might come off wrong. So we wanted to practice just not yelling. And the reason why I'm sharing that is I want to encourage you to set expectations in your relationship. Um, and not expectations in a way that's like, here's a laundry list of what I expect you to do, but more so have a conversation about how you want this relationship to be. Like, I remember the day that my fiance asked me to be his girlfriend, and we talked about, you know, one of the first things we talked about was celibacy. He actually brought it up, and he was like, you know, because when we first started dating, I was on my own celibacy journey, and he is um, a son of pastors, and he's prioritized, you know, it's always been something that he's wanted to do. And so because our relationship was so strong, he was like, why don't we keep this thing going? <laughs> and it was interesting because then we had this whole conversation about what we wanted our relationship to be. And I was long distance that time. I was home for Christmas when he asked me to be his girlfriend. But, you know, we were long distance. And what does that look like? And I want to encourage you to have conversations about your relationship, not when things are tense. Like when you're having an argument, now's not the time to say, I hate when you do such and such. No. The time to address that is like when you're out to dinner and you have a glass of wine, if you're over the age of 21, <laughs> and you're talking and you're having a good time. It's like, hey, you know, I just wanted to talk about something. And that's how I did it today, is that we were having a really great conversation about parenting and, and you know, our different personality profiles, and we had a really good Bible study, and we were in a great mood. And what it meant was I was like, hey, you know, I know we don't argue a lot, but I know sometimes we can end up talking over each other and interrupting each other. Can we commit to not doing that again? And then we had this whole conversation that it requires trust from your partner that if you get into a heated argument and like, let's say I st he starts to raise his voice, I can't come in and be like, 
didn't we say we're not going to yell? No. It needs to be like, if you're going to hold each other accountable, it needs to be more like, hey, you know, where things are kind of getting heated. Can we just take it down? There's a difference of approach. Like when you're being vulnerable and you're setting expectations, you don't get to then use that against somebody else. So you don't get to use the agreed upon rules as a way to make them look stupid in an argument. You know, like if you start both yelling, you can't, you yell, and then when he does it, I, can, I can't just come in and be like, I told you not to yell at me. No, it has to be mutual. And so what I say all this to say that in a healthy relationship, it, let it be a conversation. Let it be a conversation that you have, not when things are heated. Let it be something fun when you do a personality test or, you know, um, you know, we've done, we had, we did the test for the five love languages. That's something we did a, um, a while back. I think I was still in law school and we did that. Um, you know, like have it be something where it's like, let's have a conversation or we've had dates where, um, you know, we pull up some questions and we, you know, one of the, we had a triple date with um, two other couples and we played this game that was a card game. It was like a relationship game and I don't want to go too much into it, but it was really fun to like see your other partners, see how they think. I went to the Pinky Promise Conference in Atlanta last year and one of the speakers talked about how important it is to study your partner not for the purpose of manipulating them and pushing their buttons, but it's like, okay, if I know that me doing X, Y, Z thing hurts them, I'm not going to do that anymore. A part of being in a relationship, the fun part is like getting to know each other and setting the expectations. And if you love each other, you know, there might be something that didn't bother you before. The way you used to joke about something didn't bother you before, but now it bothers you. Speak up. I say all that to say that you know, one of the things that I do love about our relationship is like, you know, just how open and honest we are and how straightforward we are. And that does come from building trust. And I don't believe that trust should ever just be freely given. I think it should be earned. And I did have a person ask me, how do you earn trust? Well, you earn trust by showing that you're reliable. You earn trust by saying, you know, if we're going to go to dinner at eight, I don't cancel on you. You earn trust by, you know, if I ask you, who, you know, are you seeing anybody else and you're honest about that? Even if the answer is yes, like when you're first starting dating, like you build trust. You don't just give it freely. And building trust requires open and honest conversations. And I just hope that you're having that in your relationships. I hope that you're not just like dating someone that you think is cute and you really want to get married, so you're just going to be with this person. I hope that you guys are doing the work. I hope that you guys can make learning about each other fun. You know, I hope that you're not just going to each other's house and watching TV. I hope you're going to museums and trying new foods and going to a paint and sip and going to a jazz, you know, a jazz bar or going to a spoken word night or going to a museum opening or trying out different foods from different countries. I'm literally just listing off some of the things that we've done doing, reading a book together. We're currently reading um, $40 million slaves together. You know, I hope that you're seeing your relationship from the perspective of exploring and exploration and that you find someone who you want to explore life with. I, I hope you find someone or you're with someone that helps you feel intellectually curious and you want to learn more about each other. And for me, after, you know, we're going to be six years in December, I'm still learning new things. Like I said, we just had a conversation about raising kids and we were talking about, you know, whether or not we wanted our kid to be smart or um, kind. Like what was more important, if we had a smart kid or a kind kid? 
And, you know, we both surprised each other with our answers. So these are the kinds of things, like, I really just hope that when it comes to relationships, set expectations, be comfortable setting boundaries. And even if, you know, I'm talking about romantic relationships, it also goes for your friendships. If you have a friend that cracks jokes, like, um, for example, I, I'll, I'll put myself on blast. I have this friend, um, love her to death. Um, she has really big feet. And so we've always teased each other about like so many different things that we're insecure about. You know, we'll tease each other if we don't have lotion on our feet. We will tease each other if our hair is not looking right. She'll call me out if one of my nails breaks. Like we have one of those friendships. And one day she let me know that she's very sensitive about her feet. She wears like a size 10 or 11 and she can't find shoes and she loves shoes. And it's one of the things she's insecure about. I hope that you're in relationships, whether it be friendships or romantic relationships, where you can have honest conversations. And that it's not just going through the motions and I see you and we, you know, I hope you're not having friends that you just go to the parties with and then that's it. I hope you're having friends that you can have movie nights with. I hope you have friends that you can go explore, you know, a new restaurant together. I hope you have friends that you can do a, a, a book club together. We're about to do a book club at my job and we're going to be reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. And I think that so much of life can just pass you by when you're not curious about it, when you don't have a hunger to learn new things and have new experiences. And a part of that is having difficult conversations, seeing things from another person's perspective, and just appreciating our differences. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about is like from the dating perspective, right? So I just went on a whole rant about relationships, and you might be a person who's not in a relationship or is just dating and trying to figure some stuff out. And one of the things that I wanted to say is like the difference between dating and being in a relationship in terms of the expectations you should have for the person that you're dating. Um, so I had someone who sent me a message on Tumblr and she said she was dating a guy and she kind of expected him to be sending her like good morning texts and good night texts or expected him to be asking her out on dates. And really he kept just asking if she would come over to chill. And she said, you know, what's the answer? If he just wants to come, come over and chill, is the answer that I should tell him, you know, actually, I, would, I don't do that? Or should you just find another man? My perspective is when you're dating, you have to be very careful about expressing your expectations. And the reason why I say that is when you're very much like, if you give someone the blueprint on how to get you, they can perform what they know will keep your attention until they get you and then their real character comes out. So what I like to do when I'm dating, I like to go on dates and ask a lot more questions, you know, and that's how a lot of people are like, wow, you're this amazing listener. Uh-huh, I'm asking all these questions because I want to know who you are. And so for me, I like to be someone who's observant. So for me, when I'm a person that I'm celibate, right? And if I'm dating a man who calls himself Christian, and he's sending me inappropriate texts, or he's always asking me to his house, do I need to tell him, no, I don't operate that? Or do I just know that our faith is just not in line? People might vary. My perspective is in that perspective, that situation, I would not date a man like that. So for example, when it came to my, my fiance, when we first started dating, we went months, and sex never came up as a topic. And eventually I shared with him that I'm doing like my year long um, journey with God. And 
you know, like I had shared with him that I was doing it, but I hadn't necessarily necessarily shared that that was a component of it. And because we had set the stand, it was like we were being celibate without actually putting that as the standard because it was already agreed. I'm not finding the right words. What I'm trying to say is um, I saw another woman. She made a post on Instagram and it said, I am an inconvenience. And her whole caption, it was actually an Instagram I follow. It's like purpose and purity. I was actually surprised that she wrote that, is that her whole perspective was, you know, I need a man who is going to step outside of his comfort zone to be with me. And so, for example, this is what they said. Um, in my dating experience with a lot of other women, you don't always get a person who truly cares. So yes, to have a successful relationship will cause some people to move out of their comfort zone and be inconvenienced when they're not used to meeting the personal requirements of the person they're in a relationship with. Example, I practice celibacy, and if the guy I'm dating isn't doing the same, so that means his sex life is inconvenienced. Here's the thing, in that situation, If somebody sees your standards as an inconvenience, you shouldn't be with them. So I don't think a person, if you value celibacy, be with someone who also values celibacy. You set yourself up for failure or you set yourself up to be resented if you try to make this person who is not celibate, celibate. Or you end up fooling yourself and you get into situations where like the person doesn't take you seriously and is like constantly being like, okay, but how long are you going to do this for? And, and they make you feel bad for your choice and then you end up buckling. My perspective, um, you know, and that was her response to me. And I responded, I disagree, which is okay. I'm also celibate and I don't think dating someone who isn't already doing that is a good idea. I wouldn't want my choice to be celibate to be seen as an inconvenience. My fiance is actually the person who brought up celibacy and it was so refreshing because it meant that he saw me and wanted to share something special to me with me. I think what you're describing might be seen as settling. Rather than being with someone who already is in line with the things that we want, we're settling for someone that's willing to tolerate us as an inconvenience. And I don't believe God would give me a man who saw me as an inconvenience and my needs as something to tolerate. I think God would give me a man who sees my needs and feels empowered and happy to fulfill them. If my needs are an inconvenience, we are not compatible. But those are just my thoughts. Maybe it's because I've had relationships where I felt like an inconvenience and now I'm marrying a man who makes me feel like my needs are a priority and he enjoys seeing me smile. I feel like anything else is settling. What I mean to say is like, and all of that is uh, just from us dating. We weren't even in a relationship yet. I think it's so important that you observe the kind of man that he is rather than telling him how to be. And this goes vice versa. I'm using the example of men and women, but obviously women, women, men, men, um, and like a man who's pursuing a woman as well. Get to know the person. Get to know how they are before you start saying, don't do this or I want you to do that. Because if there's something that's like a game changer for you and that person doesn't agree, rather than making them change, you can just find a person who's already in line with your values. I think we make our relationships a lot harder because we're trying to fix people and make them into our perfect ideal person instead of just seeking somebody that we're compatible with. I think that's the mistake. I think it's a mistake to you know, be like, oh, he would be perfect if he would only do X, Y, Z thing. We'll just find someone that does X, Y, Z thing. Now, obviously, the key to that is knowing what your non-negotiables are and what 
are your are negotiables, right? Like for me, you know, you could be a person that's like, okay, what I absolutely need is a man who is college educated. I absolutely need someone who has a good relationship with their family. I absolutely need a person who is compassionate and loving and seeking God. And I'm a little bit flexible on his height. You know, like those are the things, like know what your non-negotiables are. And then if they're a non-negotiable, you shouldn't be compromising. And I think compromising is by, you know, getting a partner who is just willing to do what you ask them to do instead of it just inherently being what they do. Like, I couldn't imagine having to tell my fiancé, hey, can you text me to make sure I got home safe? He does that naturally. I couldn't imagine being someone that has to ask for a good morning text. He does that naturally. You know, I couldn't imagine being someone that has to tell someone to just be honest with me. Now, there's a difference. You have to create the space where you're growing and getting to know each other. But, like, if you're dating, or let me change it. Um... You don't want to have to date someone where you have to tell them, hey, don't break a date with me, right? Like, if someone's continually standing you up or, you know, for me, I'm never going to be the kind of girl or woman that's like a date is me kicking it at your house. You're approaching it wrong. You're looking for another woman who's comfortable with that. So let me get you go ahead and get that kind of woman because that's not me. I say all that to say, this is coming to the close of this episode and I'm sorry if it's been all over the place there's just a lot that I wanted to talk about a lot that I wanted to share both with me going what's going on with me personally and also just kind of the different ways that God has been speaking to my heart that I wanted to share with you and then you know the podcast is likely to go back to this regular schedule but as you guys know this is a passion project for me I don't get paid to do this so if I need a couple of weeks I might take that but I definitely just wanted to check in because so much work is being done. Um, I think last week, I remember I sent a message to my fiance and I said, for the first time in three weeks, I feel like the fog is lifted, right? And his response was that he's so proud of me for just persevering and, and pushing through and not giving up. Um, the note that I'll end on is if you are in a relationship or you are a person who's dealing with mental health, I had a person ask me, how do you really know when you're ready to date if we all have things that we have to work on? And the difference between someone who is ready to date and someone who isn't is that the mess that you have to work on, if you're not actively working on that mess, then you should not be in a relationship. That's my opinion. I don't think that a person who has mental illness automatically shouldn't be in a relationship. I obviously have my anxiety and my depression. I have I know many people who are schizophrenic, bipolar, um, different things that they have to deal with, and they're still in healthy relationships. Why? Because they still have enough wherewithal to still work on themselves. And so even if it's not mental illness, let's say you've had some past trauma you haven't addressed, or you just have some bad habits, you're nasty, you don't clean up after yourself. All right, being messy is not necessarily a disqualifier for being um, in a relationship. But if you know that there are some issues that you have to work on, that if you were in a relationship with somebody else, it would damage them, you need to reconsider if you're ready to be in a relationship. So for me, the line for me in my relationship is that I was, I think it's important that you're in a place to create your own support system and get the help you need. And it's important that you don't make your partner your only 
relationship or your only support system. So while I was going through the fog, I was also getting a new therapist. I was also taking care of myself, getting back into the gym, getting back to my, you know, I had realized I had stopped writing in my gratitude journal. Um, and you I know I've talked about it on this podcast, how much I love the happier mind journal and I had stopped writing in it. Um, and I had to get to a place where I was like, okay, but I need to pick myself back up. And of course, it's great to have a partner who is like, hey, don't, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. And is praying with me. And he never stopped praying with me. He never pressured me to do anything more than I was comfortable doing. He was always there for me. And it's interesting because through the fog, we actually spent more time together. Like we were spending four days together, five days a week together. We don't live together. So being able to, you know, we were taking you know, leaving from work to spend time together and spending time with each other's family and different things like that. And so my relationship has been so healthy and happy that it allows me to focus on my mental health. And I think if you're in a relationship that doesn't let you focus on yourself, that's not healthy either. So you both need to be in a place where you're dealing with your mess and also that it's not a relationship that doesn't allow you to deal with your mess because both of those situations are unhealthy. I feel like the reason why I know that this, and, and, and I feel like if things had gotten worse with the relationship, I think I would be comfortable saying, hey, for the next week or two, I'm not going to be able to hang out because I really need to focus on X, Y, Z thing. And he would 100% understand. He would not take that personally. He would not take that as a, oh, so we on a break, I could do whatever I want to do? No. And if he needed to say the same thing to me, I would completely understand as well. And that's what, to me, looks like a healthy relationship. It's a relationship that's supportive, but not dependent. So that's it, beloved. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to what has been a scattered podcast, talking about so many things in such a short amount of time. But I just wanted to come back and spend some time with you because God put it on my heart to share the things that he's been working on me and to, in hopes that it changes and transforms you as well. If you would like to reach out to me, my email address is strengthandshieldpodcast, all one word. And you can also find us on the website, www.mystrengthandmyshield. You can find us on Instagram at mystrengthandmyshield, all one word, or on Twitter at MSMSPodcast. I'm really excited to be back in front of the microphone, and I am praying that with all of the work that I'm doing, getting back to focusing on me, praying, um, seeking God, seeking his face, that it, it pulls me even further out of the fog. And for those of you who might be a little bit worried about me, know that I'm doing okay. I'm actually in a really good place. And like I said, um, about a week, uh, a week ago, the fog started to lift and I started to feel like myself again. And that feels really good. And a part of that is, you know, me providing myself with the support that I need. Um, being honest, I shared with my mom that I was going through. I shared with my fiance. I shared it with one of my coworkers that I trust. Um, you know, I, I shared it with people. I got the resources. I did what I had to do. But I also thank God for the support systems that I have, for giving me the energy that even when I was feeling low and could not get out of bed, I still was able to send a text message to ask someone to check in on me. Um, it's so important when you're dealing with these struggles, when I'm not feeling depressed, to make sure I'm putting the systems in place so that when I do feel that way, I have people around me that can make me feel 
or help me feel supported. That being said, if you're a person that needs help or support, I'm here for you. You know, you can always send me an email and let me know what's going on. You can also ask to follow me on Tumblr at yourbigsisnisi.tumblr.com. I'm here for you. I'm here and I'm praying that the podcast will get right back on track. And until the next episode, take care of yourself, beloved.